once again to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, that virtual church classroom podcast where we study together each week from the Bible, and as we have been doing for the last 29 weeks or more, studying the doctrines of the faith of the Christians through a course called Christian Believer, written by J. Ellsworth Callis, produced by the Cokesbury Publishing People, and uh, I'm happy today to present to you the second to the last in this series of 30 uh, teachings. And uh, as your pastor in the virtual classroom, Pastor Dan, coming to you from Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. So it's been a real pleasure to serve you with this particular course. We're on the verge of wrapping it up, and then we'll start something new soon. But uh, for now... Lesson 29, World Without End, Life Without End, and uh, it is broadcast originally on February 23rd, 2018. Let's begin with prayer. What pleasure in this life remains unmarked by sorrow? What glory can endure upon this earth unchanged? All is feebler than a shadow, more deceptive than a dream, for death in a single moment takes all things away. But in the light of thy countenance, O Christ, and in the joy of thy beauty, give rest to those whom thou hast chosen, for thou lovest humankind. That's a prayer of the Eastern Orthodox Church, a prayer for the dead. Our hymn for this week is... The classic Andre Crouch song, Soon and Very Soon, and uh, we'll hear that in just a moment. But first, our verse for this week is taken from that most familiar of Christian verses from the New Testament, John 3.16. John 3.16, a verse that most people can quote from memory, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. These are the words of the Andre Crouch hymn that we recall today. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. And then we hear in verse 2, no more crying there. No more crying there, no more dying there in verse 3, no more dying there. And should there be any rivers we must cross, should there be any mountains we must climb, God will supply all the strength that we need. Give us grace till we reach the other side. We have come from the very nation. God knows us by name. Jesus took his blood and he washed our sins and he washed them all away. Yes, there are some of us who have laid down our lives, but we all shall live again on the other side soon and very soon. We're going to see the King. And now it's time to take a look at this week's lesson and uh, a world without end, life without end, number 29 in our series of 30 messages. And as always, I got Bethany right here helping me to talk this through. So, hi, Bethany. Hey, Dad. Well, here we go. Uh, world and life without end, eternal life. It feels a little bit like we've already been here, doesn't it? It does a little. And we were talking right before we started recording, and uh, I mentioned that there are a lot of lessons in this series that sort of overlap each other, or they go back to something that we've covered before, and uh, there's probably a little bit of that that's my fault because I just have a certain way I talk about these things that I'm, I'm you know, what they call a one-trick pony or something. I don't know. But uh, so this topic is, is the, again, I, I, the thing to keep in mind is that it intentionally parallels the Nicene Creed and therefore... Uh, we're down to that part of the Nicene Creed at the very end that says, world without end, amen, you know? So I guess that's why we're here again. And, huh? I I said that makes sense. Yeah. So 
So if we're talking about that again, let's see if we can take some fresh approaches to it. And then if we happen to get back in the same old rut, well, maybe because truth is truth and you just can't get around it. Maybe because we're boring and we don't have any clever things to say. I don't know. But uh, so so when we talk about a world without end, basically it's where we kind of left off last week where we were saying that, that there's basically two kinds of existence that we think about as Christians. There's that existence that we know now, the existence we know after death where our souls continue, though our bodies rest. And that's basically what Jesus called being in paradise when he told, told that to the thief on the cross. And, and, uh, and then even the night before, he said, you know, in my father's house, there are many rooms and I go there to prepare a place for you. So there's a sense that Jesus has every intention of having us with him, even as soon as we pass from this life to the next, you know. So that's heaven. And mm-hmm. And then we have, you know, that uh, time after the resurrection and the establishment of, of Christ's reign on earth again. And uh, so when we talk about eternal life, I guess the first question I'd ask is, is where do you think eternal life begins? Um, I am going to say with confidence that I am correct, that eternal life starts when you're born of the Spirit. Sounds like a good answer to me. I feel pretty confident in it. <laughs> I, I feel like we're playing uh, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I, I, like I should look at you and say, is that your final answer? It is my final answer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, and and, you know, I've preached this for years. You've probably heard me, but I I think it's easy for a lot of of just kind of church Christians and and you know by now if I haven't thoroughly insulted the listeners and I probably you know have a fairly kind audience, but you know there's a lot of garden variety Christianity out there where people call themselves Christians and they believe they're going to go to heaven when they die and and so if you ask them, where does eternal life begin, they'll probably say something like, well, you know, when I die, I'll go to heaven. As though that's when your eternity begins. But really, if you believe you're going to heaven when you die, then you're already living your eternity, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, isn't that a rational conclusion? I think so. So... So eternal life really begins when you accept Christ as your Savior, and then you enter into a new creation or new existence with God based on born again and the Holy Spirit, just like you said. So so when we talk about a life without end, we're really talking about a existence that doesn't entirely depend on the condition of this piece of flesh we live in, right? Right. Okay. What about a world without end? Um, is that a contradictory thought in that we sort of anticipate an end of the world scenario someday? I don't think that it contra- well, yeah, I don't think it contradicts because I think just like we're talking about physical physical bodies not mattering too much in terms of eternal the eternal soul. I feel like the physical earth, yeah, we're anticipating some kind of world-ending cataclysm thing, but that's because we're living in this, like, the fallen world. Mm -hmm. And God's got us covered because he's going to make it not fallen and corrupted and stuff. So I don't... I don't know that it matters. I don't think they contradict, and I don't know that that part matters as much to me because, again, God's—we said it last week—he's got it covered. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I've done with this study that I don't want to do with the next one is 
rely heavily on opinion and and a lot of knowledge that I've accumulated that isn't validated. So in other words, everything I've said, I'm pretty confident is accurate, at least within the scope of my learning and everything. But but what a, it would have been better to be able to cite scripture all the way through this experience and say, you know, we believe this because of that, you know, and, and yeah. I, I have to say that, you know, uh, at least for you and me and, and for my own sake, this is one of those times when I'm looking back over how I decided to do something and I'm not altogether satisfied with it. And yet I think it served people in a certain way. So I don't have any regrets about doing this, but I would never do this Christian believer in a podcast this way again. I would take a totally different approach to it if I do it again, but I'd never done it before either. So uh, live and learn. But when we get to the next study, um, it's going to be much more scripture-based because that's a much more secure way to have these conversations. And the reason I am saying that is because I want to pose a question, and the question is based on what I know the scripture says, and yet I'm not able to, at this second, read to you the various passages that inform what I'm going to say. But as I read Revelation, and as I have read it in the past with other people in Bible studies and things, what I see is a picture of a world that doesn't end. It comes to the brink of destruction. It comes to the very edge of of its limit. And then God has this final intervention that kind of clears things up and begins this sort of recreation, you know? So, based solely on scripture reading, we could say that the world doesn't end. It comes pretty darn close, but it doesn't end. Like, that kind of makes me think, just you're going to have to go with me on this, but it okay. kind of makes me think of, um, can I, are we going to get in trouble if I say the name of a TV show? No. Are we going to get fussed at? Well, I don't know. Let's just see what happens. Okay. So, you know, the internet cops might be getting, you know, something tells me they're going to go after people with more than 13 listeners. So, um, I happen to be really fond of comic books and in particular Marvel comics. Um, and they have a show called Agents of Shield, which you have watched. Uh huh. And it kind of makes me think of the whole Inhumans thing where they, they like, when they, when they touch the Terrigen crystals, they, if they're an Inhuman, they end up in this, like, rocky case thing. Mm-hmm. And then it explodes and they're still the same person, but they're more awesome. <laughs> so... That kind of is what I picture with the whole world ending thing. Is like the world's not really going to end. It's just going to explode and suddenly it's going to be like the perfect earth that it was always supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, that that's fair. That that's a broad generalization, but we've been doing right, but- we we've, we've been doing that all along, right? So we're we're dealing with concepts at this point and we're taking a certain license because that's that's our goal is to is to wrap our minds around the concepts. So that being said, yeah, I mean, you know, the way I read Revelation is, is that that, you know, this this egg we live on cracks open, a lot of really crappy stuff comes out. Whoops, did he say that? And Whoa. then you know, all these terrible things happen. It's really bad. There's this, you know, death on a scale we can't even comprehend. Global destruction, famine, you know, just every kind of mad, every every kind of evil you can imagine, and a whole lot of things we can't even imagine is is scheduled to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's what uh, it's one one of my scholars that I like says it's Genesis in reverse. We get to the last chapters of, of Revelation and we see that it's basically Genesis, uh, the first few chapters of Genesis, and yet it's the deconstruction. And uh, ironically, that, as horrific as that is, sets the stage for the reset kind of, you know. 
Yeah. And and yet there's still some theological problems that have to be worked out. So in the book of Revelation, we see that there's this thousand-year reign of Jesus. There's uh, there is during this thousand-year reign a uh, eternal existence that that we have as resurrected dead. But there are also those present who came to salvation during the tribulation. So, so, and, and, you know, I don't want to go back to the left behind books from the nineties. And yet there's this idea, uh, that's there. That's, that's, uh, sounds just like the last book of the left behind series and, you know, which it wasn't all bad. It just, it wasn't all good either. It was just one, a couple of authors trying to make, you know, an entertaining story about this stuff. Anyway, I'm getting uh, digging myself into a hole trying not to talk too much about that, but because because the left behind thing, I I it's a, I have a love hate thing with it. It was really interesting to read, and yet I can reflect on it with what I understand about scripture and find a lot of problems with it. So all that being said, I come to understand that there's this time of this thousand year reign where Jesus is ruling now. So there's peace, and there is a. Uh, a, a kind of recreated world that's happening, but there is still there's still sin, and it's interesting because because the final judgment doesn't come until after that thousand year reign, and so we have this uh, we have this this uh, world without end that still even though it feels like we've came right to the brink of destruction and then God kind of put a halt to it. Uh, and then, you know, all the evil, you know, the armies of Satan are defeated and the evil one is cast into the pit and all this stuff happens. And basically Jesus is reigning and yet there still is apparently sin even during his reign on earth because the great white throne judgment doesn't come until after the reign, his thousand year reign. And then scripture doesn't really tell us what comes after that, but what it seems to suggest is that after the great white throne judgment, it is an eternal fleshly, earthly existence without sin. So, you know, so, so there, so there's this. So I have a question. All right. Here's my question. And I, I may not, I may already know the answer, but I'm going to go ahead and just say it anyway. Um, during the thousand year reign if, st- if sin still exists my understanding my understanding of this and I, I could be wrong but my understanding of what I'm going to say I'm, I'm not making any sense it's okay um, that death exists because sin came into the world mm-hmm. right so during the thousand year reign are people still dying? Well, no, and not as I read it. And there is one significant difference between the thousand-year reign and the potential sin that still exists and all the time preceding that, and that is is that during the thousand-year reign, Satan is not free to do whatever Satan wants to do. Okay. Satan's gotcha. Satan's tanked. Yeah. He's he's been he's been thrown in the hole. And so right yeah. now what we understand and we get glimpses of this in the Old Testament is that Satan's pretty much having his way with us. And we're constantly we literally it's like the cartoons I watched when I was a kid where you had the little devil on one shoulder and the little angel on the other shoulder and that's kind of the way it is right now. You you literally have this conscience uh, struggle where you're trying to do the right thing and you're trying to be loyal to God and obedient to God's precepts and everything, and yet you've got Satan over here constantly tugging at you, trying to steer you away from God. And during the thousand-year reign, Satan's not in control of anything. He's he's contained. Uh He's totally out of control for a while up to that point. But when Jesus comes in victory, one of the things that happens is that he, right. and that's that whole Valley of Armageddon battle and everything, is that when he comes, that one of his, one of his uh, 
tasks that he's going to complete, according to Scripture, is putting Satan away, and then eventually Satan faces judgment too. So sin exists during the thousand-year reign because there are people who came into saving relationship with God during the tribulation period, and so they're still subject to judgment. But how all that's going to work is just a big guess, and nobody really knows for sure. Uh, right. There are scholars who are far better than I who could give more authoritative answers, but as I interpret it, it just kind of means that there's going to be this basically really good time, but there are going to be people who still have to face up to Jesus, and apparently some will still be found wanting in some way, which is very interesting. But mm-hmm. but it's a totally different dynamic. So so yeah, when we talk about a world without end, it's really kind of fascinating to think about where it's all going to go. And um, what's really interesting, uh, Dr. Callis has a line here that I want to read to you because I think this is really cool. Uh, I think it's really brilliant insight. Um, now I just have to find it. Um, he says, um, he's talking about heaven. Yeah, listen to this. He says, public opinion surveys reveal that a vast majority of persons believe there is a heaven and that most of them believe they're going there. But what is heaven? Jesus promised the repentant criminal who died beside him, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. The night before, he had told his disciples that there are many dwelling places in the Father's house and that he's going to prepare a place for them. And a number of verses in Revelation, especially in the last two chapters, describe some elements of what uh, that dwelling place is going to be like. Then he says this, From a relatively few biblical descriptions, popular culture through the ages has constructed elaborate images of heaven. Sometimes scholars say uh, these popular descriptions trivialize heaven, reducing it to a level of cartoon and sentiment and innocent humor. Uh, that's a really interesting observation because the truth is, is that more people who are listening to this podcast, I'm going to wager there are more people who think they understand what heaven's going to be like than than understand the thing we were just talking about. So I don't know if I'm saying this right, but we've been talking about what we think the thousand-year reign might be like, and we've kick that around a little bit, and there are people listening saying, well, I never gave that any thought. I didn't even know that was in there. But if I'd asked those people to describe heaven, I'll bet you there would have been all kinds of ideas. You know, my very special friend from up north, uh, he, he's told me over and over again that he hopes that heaven is like the 1950s because he'd like for it to just be the 1950s forever, right? You know, uh, he, he'd like to live in... in uh, uh, you know, uh, on Wally and Beaver Cleaver's street, you know, and, and leave it to Beaver or something. And, and, uh, and he's not naive, but he's just saying that there, there's where I want to be, you know, for my heaven. And actually, as a guy who likes Twilight Zone and the old TV shows and the old sci-fis, they, they kick that around quite a bit. There's several episodes of the Twilight Zone, the series from the 60s, where people got to try to revisit where they, you know, thought would be their heaven. And, you know, it's so, so a lot of people have a lot of ideas about heaven. And yet Dr. Callis says, based on pop culture more than anything. And yet when we talk about the thousand year reign and the eternal world that goes from that and beyond, uh, there's actually more information in scripture. So, isn't it interesting that we're more obsessed with the immediate and imaginable future, which is death? I mean, as horrible as that sounds. Well, I was actually not heaven, but I was thinking about, you know, we were talking about resurrection and eternal life and stuff last week, too. And I was thinking, you know, isn't it funny that that is such a common trope? in books and movies and tv too and it always ends up coming down to eternal life as humans can conceive of it would be miserable Mm -hmm. 
And I think the heaven thing kind of goes with it. We all like humans play with this heaven thing all the time because, because it's slightly more concrete than the idea of the thousand year reign and all this stuff that's in revelation that's going to happen. I think, I think that's why we know, we know more about heaven than we really do. And I just did air quotes, which no one can see. Sometimes I forget that. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. We're on a podcast because I can see you right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And when I'm not using, when I'm not monitoring the software, I'm actually watching you too. So (laughs) see if I click back into my software that's doing the recording, then I can't see you. So anyway, well, yeah, go ahead. I just think it's really interesting and it, it doesn't, but it doesn't surprise me that we focus more on heaven and eternity and all of this stuff. And what it be, what does it mean to be immortal and what does heaven look like? Because for some reason we think that we can make that more concrete. And, but yeah, so that was like a little bit of a sidetrack. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think we're both saying the same thing, but I want to take my version of it and throw it out there. Uh, And I, but I think we're saying the same thing is, is, the thousand-year reign and revelation stuff—that's all really speculative for people. Even Bible scholars and 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 committed Christians have differing views about that part. You know, there are people who think there's going to be a, a, a rapture and it's going to come at the beginning of the tribulation. Something is going to come in the middle of the tribulation. Something is going to come right before the judgment. Uh, there are people that. Uh, uh, you know, have differing opinions about what this thousand-year reign thing is and great white throne judgment and da-da-da-da-da. And a lot of people disagree about Revelation and just think that it's a metaphor or something. So so all of that's really out there, specula- speculation. But the reality that we all have to face up to is, is that we're going to die. And so if you want to spend that period of your life where you face up to your mortality because you know it's part of a, it's part of becoming an adult or mature human being is that you finally accept the fact that you're not going to live forever you know i mean it, that's just that thing that happens to every person they get to a certain point in life and their mortality starts to really set in and and as a guy who's done hundreds of funerals you know i can tell you when i'm around young people who are seeing it face to face for the first time, you you could start seeing that sink in. And then when you get to my age, you become accustomed to it. You see it so much that you just know that we all die someday. And so when, when you realize that death is inevitable, what gives you more comfort thinking about heaven or thinking about this big speculative thing that's going to happen someday, but you may be in the ground for a hundred years or 5,000 years or whatever, you know, before it happens. So I get it. Yeah. You know, heaven is a far more interesting topic for us because it's more immediate. And, and so that's okay. And uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I also think it's really interesting how, um, just a couple of people's like the the just a couple of people's imaginations can inform and create this whole so i'm thinking of like the inferno yeah i knew you were going there (laughs) i did because you and i've talked about this one before back when you were reading a lot of literature for school and stuff is is Dante's Inferno. And I mean, what a lot of people don't know is that that's a massive work. It's not just, yeah, you know, we're not just talking about this one part. Um, but what's interesting is, is that almost everything that we accept as fact about hell right. comes right out of that work of fiction. Right. And the, I guess that's what I was trying to say is like, it's just super interesting. And it's the same thing with heaven too. Like, um, I'm, th- I'm thinking of like Paradise Lost. And- yeah. Um, different books like that like those were people's brainchilds and because they've become such staples of culture and literature we have somehow gotten convinced that that's reality and who knows maybe maybe it there was some divine things going on with those books mm-hmm. but because you know i think that happens but I, yeah, I think it's super interesting that like dante came up with this really really interesting idea and we accepted this fact 
Well, and probably because it's far more plausible and far more within our reach than the reality. Uh, Randy Alcorn has written a lot of books. He's a pretty prolific writer. Probably not one of the best, you know, most skilled writers. Uh, and I'm talking about the craft, you know. Um, and yet he's a very skilled, you know, scholar. And, and in other words, I recommend his books, but, but he's, uh, you know, his fiction is okay. But it contains a lot of really great ideas, and that's not uncommon. I mean, a lot of a lot of great theologians, C.S. Lewis comes to mind, will try to express their truths in fiction because it's easier to paint a word picture or a story that tells you what they want you to understand than it is to try to come right out with it. So it's perfectly reasonable that, like Randy Alcorn, for example, would write a book about heaven that is a nonfiction book called Heaven, and it's very interesting. But mm-hmm. but in his book called Heaven, he even says, you might want to read my fiction book I wrote, which I did, and I can't remember the name of it now. It's on my Kindle somewhere, so I'd have to go digging to find it. But, but you know, if you look up Randy Alcorn fiction books, it's this, this story about three friends who all uh, get into some kind of car accident, and one dies and goes to hell, and one guy goes to heaven, and... And one lives to try to figure out what happened to the other two. And, you know, this is the gist of the story. And um, and what's really interesting is, is that he gives a pretty uh, different kind of view of heaven and hell. And it really drives home the points that he made in his nonfiction book about heaven, which in which he says, you know, hell... Uh, would be far more interesting if you interacted with other people condemned to hell. Hell would be far more or far less hellish if you actually had some labor to toil over in a hot, steamy place next to other people who were miserable too. That would make hell a lot less hellish. And his point is, is for hell to be the most horrible end or eternal condition imaginable, then, you know... I'll have a lot of company when I go to hell kind of thing is a really stupid joke to make because because in all likelihood, you'll be in a kind of total isolation. I was, uh, the older I've gotten, that's the assumption that I have had is like, it won't be oblivion because you're going to know you're there, I think. But there's not going to be anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I, yeah, it's like solitary confinement. Well, you you've heard me speculate about the Garden of Gethsemane. You've been there and you know, I've talked about that how how profound that moment or that series of moments must have been for Jesus because here is Jesus who has never in all of his existence which transcends our comprehension he's always been in complete harmony with God, the Holy Spirit and himself in this triune form. And he takes sin upon himself for us, effectively going to hell for us, at least for a little while. And as horrible and unthinkable as that is for us, it, it's it's got to be. I can't even, see. I don't even have the words for it. It has to be most profoundly, extraordinarily horrible thing that Jesus could possibly ever endure. You know, we could talk about his physical suffering, but the thing that he really endured for us that had to be the worst in all the world was to go to hell. Yeah. And to experience what hell's really like, which, you know, as as even though I like C.S. Lewis and everything, and I like the whole Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe movie and everything, we still have this picture of Aslan being surrounded by spirits and evil things that are tormenting him. Mm-hmm. But what if it's not like that at all? Yeah. You know, what if you don't even have the company of the ones who are tormenting you and torturing you? I mean, and and what if you've been made for community and community is all you've ever known forever? Then then for for the person who doesn't know what isolation is, it's even worse. Yep. That's kind of way out there. No, uh, I, I 
I totally am driving with that. And and in fact, just because because even though it's going on the recording, I got to tell you that I just today uh, scanned about three pages out of the Centennial book, where one of the characters towards the very end of the book describes this uniquely human condition of loneliness or uh, excuse me, uniquely American condition of loneliness. I I don't want to say human American because virtually everyone who comes to America, especially the pioneer people who formed this culture, what they look forward to is getting distance between themselves and other people. And then success depends on how well they do at making it alone. Mm -hmm. And so like no other culture before, America is a culture that has formed itself around a belief that loneliness and isolation are better, you know, and, and that's me summing up what it took James Michener three pages to write, which is like 10,000 <laughs> words, right? But it's really fascinating, you know, and so I, I scanned this because I want to really go back and, and take this thing apart because he goes, he really magnificently paints this picture of how in America, uh, we really choose loneliness and isolation um, as a kind of American lifestyle. Yeah. And, and people that live in cities and depend on others and live in community are considered weak because they're interdependent. It's kind of fascinating. Uh-huh. It is because it kind of goes with that whole like American individualism thing and and there's a lot of debate about whether or not that's actually been to our benefit or not. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's totally not the topic of this podcast, so I'm not going to go into more on that. But Well, and yet it, it is sort of relevant, and it's okay because we both agreed that this one was going to be a tough one anyway. So if we <laughs> sidetracked a little, it just gave us some content. But the but So basically what we talk about when we talk about the world without end, life without end, is that by God's design, both will have greater meaning, greater value, and more joy because of community, where hell, by contrast, will be the deconstruction of community, interdependency, relational uh, existence. Yeah. You know, so, so God's design is that we would be in harmony with each other as we're in harmony with God and that we would be in community with people and that our dependence uh, would actually be a joy, you know. Which, which, is, which kind of goes back to what I was starting to say about what I was thinking about with eternal life and how humans really like to play around with the whole immortality thing. Because... Every time, like, any any book, movie, or whatever, like, you know, about vampires, about, like, people living forever, it always ends up coming down to they're really lonely. Yeah. Mortality yeah. is really awful as far as humans can conceive of it. Yeah. So that, I think that ties right into what you're saying, too, because eternal life from God, that is going to be really amazing. It's not going to be lonely and horrible. Yeah, I mean, James Michener's description of the classic American uh, archetype, is that right? Archetype, yeah. You know, if, if, if we take that individual, huh? Archetype. Yeah, your, your internet's kind of... <laughs> Well, a little thing comes up and says your internet connection is unstable, so now you're sounding a little bit like you're you're doing robo speech. So yeah, before before you kind of disappeared, we were talking about archetype archetype. I thought you were frozen, so it sounded probably sounded like I was doing robo speech because I thought like I thought you weren't responding to me, so I was pausing. <laughs> And I was like, because I thought, I was like, dad knows what that is. Because I said, my man, which yeah. really, because I'm more of an Alfred Adler person, but Carl Jung archetypes. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so our friends are saying, what the heck is going on? Well, it's just called the internet. Um, but, but yeah, so what I was saying is if you take your classic American archetype and you apply it to the concept of, of uh, eternal life, 
it wouldn't seem that appealing. You know, your classic American loner is not going to say, oh, yeah, that's what I need is to live forever so I can be this lonely all the time, you know. And and so one of the things you have to accept if you're going to accept eternal life. And, you know, we were talking about this last week, and I, you know, shame on me, I didn't look this up to, to reference it today. But uh, there's this whole picture of, of, uh, of, of the New Jerusalem being like this giant cube. And yeah. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that in my mind I picture this sort of golden version of a Borg cube, you know. But, it, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, like the, the Borg cube is hell and the old Jerusalem and, and the New Jerusalem's, you know, streets of gold, you know, whatever. Oh, my gosh, am I ever going down a slippery slope right now? <laughs> I'm picturing, I, did you see Sam's gold Rubik's cube thing that he got for Christmas? No. He brought it to, our, to your house. But oh, okay. I'm that one. Okay. Because <laughs> it's like, it's, I, it, it's not a normal cube. It's like it sticks out all over the place and you have to make it into a regular, I don't know. Oh, okay. Picturing it for some reason. For brains that are larger than mine and hands that are more patient than mine. Yeah, well, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so so in any case, you know, there's this sense that God intends for us to learn how to live with each other because that's part of what heaven and the new creation is, uh, cooperative. Because everybody was together in harmony in Eden, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, well, okay, so I think we're going to wrap this part up because, you know, we don't want this to be a three-hour podcast, but... Um, you know, I hope our listeners have gotten a kick out of our conversation. Maybe it's gotten their juices flowing. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on the topic that are just dying to come out? No. No? <laughs> we beat that dog to death, huh? Well, okay, so I'm, I'm going to say that we're done with the lesson. We have one more next week. It's number 30. It's uh, Christian living, basically. And uh, by the way, you and I both pleaded with people to give us some suggestions last week, and I haven't heard from anybody yet. Oh, guys, get on this. So, friends, listen to Bethany. She's about to tell you why we need to hear from you. We really need you to give us ideas because otherwise we'll have podcasts like today. <laughs> and do you really want us to keep doing this? <laughs> or would you like us to talk about something that, really answers and informs your questions so yeah we, we need focus yeah so let us know what you would like to have us cover next week we will have the last lesson in christian believer then i'm going to take a week off because it just so happens that coincidentally i'm going on vacation that week and then the week after that we'll try to get started again and that's when it's going to be either you friends who are listening or me and Bethany. One of one side of this microphone or the other, there's going to be a plan. And I hope that you will help with the plan. So we want to hear from you. But uh, for now, say bye, Bethany. Bye, Bethany. <laughs> bye, baby. I love you. So when Christians talk about eternal life, a world without end, there is uh, a certain amount of, of language that we use. I like to call it church speak. And uh, we hear things like life everlasting, uh, eternal communion with God, sorrow gone, love supreme, new heaven and a new earth, life in a perfect relationship with God, death through Adam, life through Christ, future life now, and uh, it becomes something of our lives as soon as we enter into a relationship with Jesus that we call new birth. So this is the language of our faith, and what it really comes down to is that there's nothing stopping you from having eternal life and actually having it right now, and that God has a plan. And if, if there were any other way to say this, I would try to soften it, but the reality is, is that you can have eternal life and you can personally witness in your flesh with your own eyes, just like Job said, all that God has in store for the future of the world and everything God created 
if you will accept Jesus as the person who has made possible as only he could, your salvation from sin, your intimate relationship with the Creator God, and your eternal life. And as you proceed into the week ahead, here are some questions for you to consider. Um, today we, we basically agreed that humans are made for an everlasting existence, that against all odds we believe in something beyond the grave for the individual, and we look for a happy ending for the human story. We actually see a world without end. So, in what ways have you sensed that quality of hopefulness in your own life? Where have you seen evidence of it in others? This really is the blessed hope that makes us different from people around us. And this is why the doctrine of eternal life is so important. How do you feel that that has been expressed in your life, and how have you witnessed it in others? And what difference does it make in your own outlook on life? And suppose you find yourself in a conversation with someone who does not believe the Bible. So what kind of logical case would you make regarding the eventual victory of God, of goodness and righteousness and the defeat of death? How would you argue with your unbelieving friend that there is a beginning, a middle, and an end to God's plan and that we don't spiral endlessly out of control until we completely self-destruct? If eternal life begins here on earth, then how is it experienced in daily living? And I, as a pastor, can tell you that I witness this all the time in some people, in fact, the vast majority of them. I witness people having a sort of hopelessness about life and an urgency to get everything done that they can in this life because then they won't be able to get what they want later, as though, as though somehow heaven and paradise are a great idea, but... I want to hedge my bet against uh, the fact that, that maybe heaven won't give me the carnal or fleshly desires that I seek. So it's kind, of a, it's kind of an interesting concept to really meet someone who thinks of life from an eternal perspective, who has a sense that what is un, incomplete on this side of, of uh, heaven is still yet to be completed, and whatever... Uh, pain and difficulty and suffering we endure in this life is temporary, and that we should see ourselves as eternal and therefore not determined to endure these difficulties and hardships endlessly. That is my personal outlook shift. What's yours? And when you think of heaven, what, what are some of the ideas that come into your mind? How much has popular culture influenced your ideas of heaven? And why do you think that you picture heaven the way you do? What if heaven is a lot more like earth than we think, and a lot less like Captain Stormfield's uh, adventure written by Mark Twain? You know, Captain Stormfield died and he thought he'd sit on a harp and uh, sit on a harp, <laughs> sit on a cloud and strum a harp. And, uh, you know, what if heaven is way more than that? Because we, the church, believe in eternal life, I will live, love, work, and pray each day with eternity in my soul. Because we, the church, believe in eternal life, I will live, love, work, and pray each day with eternity in my soul. lesson is the last in this series of 30 teachings from the Christian Believer Course, written by J. Ellsworth Callis, published by the Cokesbury people, and presented in this particularly unusual format by yours truly, Pastor Dan. And uh, I will have the reading assignments for this final lesson posted below this podcast in the description box, and you'll be able to follow those 
as well as to read the Nicene Creed. And uh, I hope if this has been a serious endeavor for you that you've committed that creed to memory and that uh, it becomes one of the ways in which you can state your belief and uh, share your faith with others. And uh, so looking at next week's lesson, number 30, the final lesson, The Difference Believing Makes. We'll talk about living the faith that we have discussed all these weeks together, these months together. And don't forget, I need to hear from you if you have a particular topic that you would like for me to take on in the future studies. The Knowing God with Heart and Mind podcast will continue, but we'll take on a different topic and uh, or set of topics or Bible study, however we want to go on this. I, I will begin to form some ideas of my own between now and the uh, premiere of the next session or segment, but uh, it would be so much easier with your input. Remember that uh, we would love to know you through uh, communication. If you're a distant listener, I'd love to get an email from you, a message posted here in the podcast. I'd love to uh, meet you in person. If you're a Southwest Indiana resident, come see us at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. If you're a little further away than that, like I said, look us up on the internet, shilohum.org. That's S H I. L-O-H-U-M dot O-R-G. You'll find out everything you want to know about us there. And uh, we'd love to uh, encourage you also to be a part of a church somewhere. It is hard sometimes to find a church that really feels right for you. And I believe that's why God in His mercy has provided so many options so that we can find a place where we are fed and where we become part of the feeding of others and the service to God. So uh, look for a place to worship, look for a place to learn scripture together, and uh, tell me about it when that happens. I'd love to hear where you worship and what it's been like for you and how this uh, podcast has perhaps affected your decisions. Thank you for your constant support, your prayers and encouragement. It means the world to me to hear from you and to know that this is a blessing to you. And uh, in the meantime, I want to send you away with this blessing Uh, also taken from the ancient uh, Eastern Orthodox tradition. Unto him who is gone hence, O my Savior, open thou, we beseech thee, the door of thy mercy, O Christ, that he may rejoice in glory as he partaketh of the joys of thy kingdom. And so this is a blessing over those who have died, and it is, I think, a blessing for those who live that we might begin our eternity right now and simply transition from one type of existence to another on the day of our death. God bless you. Go in peace now to love and serve the Lord.